Yeah, very close to Christmas, and we're just in the second part of our two-week series we're doing on Advent. Um, and I guess, yeah, the, the sort of idea is posturing ourselves ready for the coming of Christ. Advent's this idea of the arrival or the coming, and it's just a part of the Christian calendar, which can be really helpful because it's just sort of every year we, we re-experience this idea of waiting and anticipation that's really key to Christian life and Christian faith. We talked about that last week about waiting and kind of entering the story of Israel has been waiting for a long time for Jesus. And now we wait for him to continually come into our lives and we wait for his return at the end of the story. We're still in this story and, and waiting is still a big part of us as the people of God um, in 2018. And we're going to kind of continue that by looking at this, this story. And this is, this is after Jesus has been born, but we're going to kind of think through still this idea of waiting and longing and how it ties into this story. Um, it's interesting that if we read through that story, it's a pretty full-on story. Like, we're going to go through and break it down, but it's not really a kid's story. Like, we kind of make Christmas into this nice kind of kids thing with the animals and, and little baby Jesus. And it's just, it's kind of nice and pretty and, and fine. But then you read the story and it's like controversial and it's, there's confrontation and there's basically like a massacre and there's evil and it's like, it's intense. Like it's, it's not really a kid's story. Like, like it's pretty full on. Um, but it's interesting that we can come to, sometimes we kind of approach Christmas a bit like that, like it's just this, this nice thing, let's all just be nice and happy and things are fine and things are good. But when you read the story, it's like, whoa, no, this is full on. Like there's, there's a battle, there's, there's difficulty, there's struggle right from the get-go. And actually what we might expect is actually not really what we find. And it can be kind of true like that just with our lives in general. We kind of maybe have this assumption that life is just supposed to be comfortable and easy and fulfilling. And even we kind of have that, even when we come to God, we think, well, God loves us. He's saved us. He's forgiven us. Well, now life ought to be comfortable and, and easy and, and fulfilling and satisfying. And there shouldn't be suffering and difficulty and, and pain. And we kind of can come with these expectations that life is meant to be a certain way. But then we realize that it's not. That again, the reality is not this nice, comfortable, easy, pretty story, but difficulty, struggle, confrontation, pain, hardship that, that maybe probably everyone here, at least even this year, has experienced. That we had this sort of idea of what things were going to be like and they were different. And there can be a disconnect and a struggle. And what we want to do today is actually look at this story, kind of relook through it again, not kind of through the kind of nice kid's story lens, but let's look at it as what it really is and kind of face the reality of who Jesus is and what he's doing and the battle that's going on. And in doing that, seek to align our lives to reality. And actually, what is life really like? What's really going on? What are we actually in the middle of? And what ought we to really expect? Because if we're expecting something that's not reality, it's going to be really, really hard. But if we embrace reality and realize that there's hope there, even in the midst of the struggle and the battle, there's, there's, there's joy. So what we're going to do is go through that story. Um, I might just pray. And it's going to kind of teach through it with a few points. And then, um, then we'll sort of finish up and, and have communion and, and head into some more singing after that. So let's, let's pray. And then we'll look through Matthew chapter 2. So Father, we just thank you so much for this story. Uh, thank you for your word. 
Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for this community, the community of Jesus followers who um, love him and, and, and follow him together. And Father, we just ask that you'd speak today by your spirit. And would you speak your truth into our hearts and remove lies, um, bring freedom and life and joy. And, and Jesus, we just pray that you'd be revealed and, and you'd be worshipped and lifted high in our hearts. And just pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to go through from Matthew chapter 2. So let's read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So these are, these are guys who are from, not from Jerusalem. Magi, they, it even seems like they're basically like astrologers. Like these are guys looking at the stars. Um, they're, they're finding out there's something that's going on. They come to Jerusalem and they ask this question. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. So straight from the start, this story is like, you don't do that. Like going to Jerusalem and going to the king and saying, where's the real king? Like where's the true king? We heard he's been born. Where is he? Like straight away, there's confrontation. Straight away, there's battle. Like, like there's, there's this sort of question. When King Herod heard this, therefore he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. I won't say much about Herod, but he was a bad guy. Like, he was brilliant in some ways. He built the temple. He got lots of stuff done. He achieved lots of stuff. But he was pretty crazy. Like, he, he was very powerful and very paranoid. And even as he got more older, he became so paranoid about people taking his throne that he killed multiple members of his own family. I was reading some stuff this week that even said that he ordered that when he died, all these other people were to be killed so that people cried at his funeral. Because he thought, no one will cry, no one will be sad when he dies, so he's going to slaughter all these other people so that people do cry. Like, that's the kind of guy that he was. Like, terrible guy. And it's interesting, like, so these, these magi come in, and again, it doesn't say that there was three of them, there was three gifts there could have been a huge number of them. Like, like it's, it's caused like this sort of, all this stuff going on in Jerusalem. There's a good chance it was more than three. And it says, all Jerusalem was disturbed. It's like there's this question, a new king. And they, they might be disturbed because they're, well, who is this new king? Or they might be disturbed because they know Herod's not going to be happy. Like, what's going to happen when, he, when he's like trying to figure out who this new king is? So when he, so Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So this is, this is about the Messiah, a king, a ruler who's coming, the true ruler of Israel, the one who does sit on the throne of, at Jerusalem. And, and this is a massive threat to Herod. And it's a threat to everybody in a sense. Like a king is a polarizing person. Like, like a king is to be submitted to. So you either submit to him or oppose him. But it's interesting as well that even in this story, it seems like the religious leaders there are kind of indifferent in a sense. They kind of, they, they look at this, this is where it's meant to come from, but they kind of just push it to the side. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to actually go find out who he is. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
Again, you see this, this deceit around this idea of the king, like Herod wants to find out more, not so he can worship him, but so he can destroy him. Jesus is a threat right from the start. And we see that who he is, who Jesus is, is the true king. And he's coming into a world which is in a different kingdom. Like he, he's coming to confront the kingdom of the world and set up the kingdom of God. So the story right from the start is a story about confrontation, light coming into darkness, kingdom against kingdom. Like Jesus is coming and saying he is really the true one who's, and his way is the true way. And others who have set themselves up as the rulers of this world are not. They are false. Herod is false. So Jesus coming, just his coming as a baby is, is not this kind of nice, just comfortable, easy thing. It's, it's, it's interesting. I was reading one thing this week. This guy talked about how people like Christmas because a baby's not threatening. Like, a, it's just a little baby. It's just, it's just cute. But the story of Christmas is the exact opposite, that Jesus as a baby is incredibly threatening, that he's, he's standing out in opposition to the kingdoms of the world. He's the true king. And in a sense, that sets up this confrontation, this battle that's actually been going on through um, thousands of years, this battle that God is dealing with evil. God is dealing with the darkness in the world, and his plan is to rid the world of it. He wants to redeem the world. He wants to save the world. So there's this battle that we're a part of. And again, we kind of maybe don't often think of life like that. We kind of think of life as we're just our individual selves and we can just sort of do what we choose to do, and, and we have our own dreams and our desires and our wishes that we want to fulfill. We don't really think of ourselves as being in a kingdom or being under authorities or being under rulers. But the story of Scripture says something very different. It says we are either in God's kingdom in submission to Jesus, or we're in the kingdoms of this world, which are kingdoms of darkness and evil in the spiritual realm. And actually, there's not an option to be just an individual who's just a free-floating, I just do whatever I choose to do. It's actually either we're submitted to Jesus or we're submitted to his enemies. And actually, this is cosmic battle that's been going on for this whole story, and we're actually part of it. Life is actually part of that. It's not this kind of separate, just sort of nice to the side life. So this story, again, is, is Jesus is coming with his kingdom, his good kingdom, to confront the kingdoms of the world. And the story keeps going. When they had gone, I'm just going to skip up to verse 13. We'll come back to the, to the next part, to the part in between at the end. When they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, if you think through this story, it's, if you think about your Mary and Joseph, and you've miraculously given birth to this child, there's this promise of God over him, that he's the true king, but now they have to run. Now they have to flee to Egypt. People are trying to kill Jesus. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Imagine the confusion they may have felt, that, that we're running away. Like There's this, this traumatic, that would be such a traumatic thing for them to experience and go through. 
More than that, after they left, this happens. When Herod realized that they'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt, and then they hear this report about what's gone on in Bethlehem after they left. And, and, and many baby boys killed. Um, people kind of have done some archaeology and worked out how, like the population of Bethlehem and roughly how many babies there would have been. They think it's between 25, 30, maybe up to 50. There's like a lot of young children to die. And Mary and Joseph are looking back and seeing that this is what's happening. Like, like, what's going on? Like, this is supposed to be the king who's come to save, and now they're fleeing. Now people are dying. All sorts of stuff is going on. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is from Jeremiah. And it's, it's about when the Israelites went into exile. We talked about that last week. And, and there's this, this mourning and sadness. But the interesting thing is, where this verse comes from in Jeremiah, just after it, there's hope. Of a, of a return, of a, a new covenant. And we, we see then after Herod dies, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So they've been in Egypt. They come back to Israel, to, to Bethlehem. And then he got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But then he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in the place of his father. Herod. So there's another king who's after them. He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This is this sort of no-name town that people don't really know much about. It's just small. What was fulfilled was said through the prophets that he'd be called a Nazarene. It's actually this crazy story of fleeing, of, of tragedy, of trauma. But as Matthew writes it, he references the story of Israel. And it's that that God is working even through the suffering that Jesus is experiencing even as a baby. He's, he's done nothing, but there's these people who are after him. There's people who are, who are seeking to kill him. His family are, in, are fleeing. They are in fear. But God is even at work in that. That, that scripture is being fulfilled in that. that. That the angels are coming and even guiding and directing and protecting him in that. And we see that actually this king who's come is not a king who's just going to like overthrow the powers of darkness with force. He's going to come and he's going to suffer. This is what um, Wright says about this. He says, The gospel of Jesus the Messiah was born. Then in a land in a time of trouble, tension, violence, and fear, banish all thoughts of peaceful Christmas scenes. Before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. No point arriving in comfort when the world is in misery. No point having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be with us where the pain is. And we see that's where he is. You might be thinking, well, where, where is God? Like, what's going on? Like, having to flee, there's this, this suffering, there's this pain. But he's there. He's actually experiencing it. He's, he's with, God is with Mary and Joseph and working. And Jesus is literally with them and in the story experiencing this. He's the king who actually suffers for us. 
That's the type of king he is. He's the promised king, but the promise was that there would be a king, a saviour who would come. But he would come and defeat evil through suffering, through taking it on himself, through experiencing it and bearing it. And actually suffering was the key thing that the, the, the Messiah was going to be characterised by. It says this in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Again, we would think, no, God coming to the world, it's a nice Christmas story, like he's just going to fix it all up, it's going to be nice and easy, but no, he comes and he suffers. He bears the pain, the sin, the injustice, but that is the way God is working to defeat it. That's how he's going to deal with it. So Jesus is the true king who suffers for us. And again, this is true in our lives. Again, we might expect life is supposed to be easy and, and comfortable and just about fulfilling, but then we face suffering and we face hardship. We face disappointment. And we may think, well, God's not there or God's not good or he's forgotten. Well, what, what is he doing? And we see the story of scripture. He's there. He's with us in it. And he even uses it for his purposes. He works through us and grows us through it. And he never ever promises that we're not going to suffer, that we're not going to go through hardship and pain. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus says we will have trouble and we will have hardship, but that he's overcome, that he's been with us through it. And actually we ought to expect it, but know and, and have hope in the midst of it, that God is still at work in that. So see, he is the true king who suffers for us. And what I want to do is, is just back up and sort of go through that middle part of Matthew 2 about the Magi. Oops, sorry. There's a fly up here. And their, their response to Jesus. And particularly their response to Jesus in contrast with Herod. Herod's the king of the Jews currently. The people who are waiting for the Messiah. And these other men, Magi, looking at the stars, come and actually recognize Jesus. And their response is so amazing. This is them. They said, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And this is like, when Matthew's writing this, it's, it's intense joy. Other translations say, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like, not just a bit of joy. It's like, lots and lots of joy. Like, they're really excited about what's happening. On coming to the house, so again, this is not like the night that Jesus was born. It's, this is probably later on, sometime a little bit later on, but they come to, to find Mary and Joseph. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So they see this baby. They recognize who he is. Their response is to bow down and worship. And that, that word of worship there is basically like lie down, face to the ground, before him and actually worship him, lift him up, lower ourselves, lift him up. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's so amazing that these, these people, not part of the Jews or the, the people waiting for the Messiah, and this points to God's plan to rescue all people, 
they recognise Jesus for who he is, the true king, worthy of worship, and they bow down before him. They offer him gifts because he is worthy. And we see Jesus is the true king who suffers for us and is worthy of our worship. That the, the life we face, again, right now, is not necessarily going to be comfortable or easy, but there is hope and there is joy because he's the true king who suffers for us and he's worthy of worship and he's working everything according to his purposes. And one day he will deal with all evil for, for good and, and, and set up his kingdom in truth. But we can worship him now. This is what Matt Redman says about this idea of face down worship. He says, when we face up to the glory of God, we soon find ourselves face down in worship. To worship face down is the ultimate outward sign of inner reverence. Imagine these, these magi, they're here, they're face down before the child, lifting him up, saying he is worthy. We lift him up above all. He is the good king, the true king. And that's when we come to worship, we may not necessarily do that physically, but that's, that's the action that we're doing. We're lifting Jesus. We're lowering ourselves. We're saying he is worthy to be the king. He is worthy to be above all. He is worthy to be obeyed. He is worthy to be followed. And with great joy because he's actually come. His light has come to fix the world, to heal the world. And it started, it's begun, and one day will be fully finished when he returns. This is how Mark Sayers talks about this idea because we don't necessarily like the idea of kings, like, we don't necessarily like the idea of, well, worship actually being, like, we sometimes might think of worship, we're just sort of expressing our hearts, but it's actually like, it's about putting God up as God and kneeling and bowing down before him. And again, we might sort of think, no, we're individuals, like, we just sort of live our own life, we're free people, but we don't really want to submit to somebody else. But Jesus is the true king who suffers for us. He is worthy of that. It's not that he's a dictator who's just going to force us to do things. He's the God who dies for us. This is what Mark says. says, We are people who give up our autonomy, not to unjust rulers or authorities, but to the one true king, the one good king, the king who has taken all our rebellion, our sin, our injustice upon himself. We lay our authority and autonomy down at the feet of the king, with scars. He's a king. He doesn't just sort of sit back and order people around. He's a king who comes into the earth, suffers for us, and dies, and is so worthy of worship and trust and honor and giving our lives to him. We see this in Revelation that, that the heavens continually bow down before him and praise him. Just as John saying, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. All that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Again, fell down on their face before him. Lift him up and say he is, he is worthy forever. That's what's going on in heaven. And one day that's what all people will do, will recognize who Jesus is like the Magi did and will bow down and confess that he is Lord. And that's our hope, that's our joy now that we get to worship him and, and trust in him and know him. 
But it's not that it's all finished. It's not that, that there's not a battle, that there's not a struggle anymore. It's that there's, there's hope, and the battle's not this even battle between two people. The powers of evil, the, the kingdoms of this world, Jesus has defeated them. They're, they've been defeated. The battle's been won, but it's still going. And there's a, there's a need to persevere and to continue on. You see, Jesus is the true king who suffers for us and is worthy of our worship. And in many ways, the battle is to stay, like what Chris was talking about before, at this true north, where we recognize who he is and worship him. It's in a battle, we're in a battle to know him, to trust him, and to worship him alone. It's, it's not actually just this easy, nice, comfortable thing. It's actually a battle. It's actually forces that don't want us to do that. There's actually forces that actually want to distract us from him. Even that video that said before that, that Christmas has been flipped and like the, what it was meant to be bad has basically become the opposite. It's like that's not a coincidence that that's happened. Like, like there's actually spiritual forces that want to twist the message and d- d- distract people and deceive people away from Jesus because he's the true king and he's coming against the darkness. And it's actually a battle to know him and trust him and worship him. This is, Larry Crabb explains this. I love this quote. So like, like Paul says in Ephesians, that, that our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That there's still a battle going on. Jesus has won it, but we have to stand and persevere and worship him and look to the day when he will fully defeat evil. Larry Crabb explains it this way. He says, the core battle in everyone's life is to relate well to God, to worship him, enjoy him, experience his presence, hear his voice, trust him in everything, always call him good, obey every command, even the hard ones. And hope in him when he seems to disappear. That's the battle the community of God is called to enter in each other, into in each other's lives. And sometimes we, we again think like God is just kind of there and God is there to fulfill us. And, and if we know God, then life should be easy and comfortable and, and should be fine and should be fixed. But that's not what life is about. Life is about him. And actually staying in this place of trust and relationship and submission to him. And we might have secondary problems like our health or relationships or other issues, but, but they're secondary problems. The primary problem, the primary issue is how are we trusting and relating to him in the midst of all of that. And it's not an easy like, oh, well, we'll just pray. That's just fine. Like it's, it's a battle. And it's, it's, it's a battle that we enter into aware, confident in him, trusting in him. So what we're going to want to do is just as we respond today, as, as we kind of take this posture of Advent, of, of waiting, I encourage you to, to think through maybe what have been your expectations on life. Where, where have you kind of been sitting? And maybe there's been an expectation that things are supposed to be good now, that things are supposed to be fixed now, that things are supposed to be better now. And I suppose today's an opportunity to realize that Actually, there's hope and there's life and there's joy in God now, but that there's still a battle going on. And that there's, there's actually an opportunity to, instead of letting the struggles, the disappointments and the suffering of life, instead of letting them become things that we complain about 
or things that we sort of question God about or reasons to kind of tap out. Instead, we can let them become things that draw us in our longing for him. That actually, we, things are not really finished. The story's still going. And actually, when we realize, actually, there's, there's these issues still on. And, and actually, my heart isn't fully satisfied right now, but one day it will be in him. We can actually allow those things to cultivate a longing and a thirst for him. That we're actually people who wait Actually, things are not finished right now. We're people who wait and long and find joy in Him one day fully. And there's an opportunity now again to realize that this is not peacetime, that still we're in a battle and there's a need to stand. There's a need to fight. There's a need to, to con- contend and, and be okay and realize that actually there's a struggle going on in, in our desire to know and trust God. There's a need for us to stand and to fight. It's not peacetime. We've won, but it's still going, and we need to stand. And as we do that, it's something that we don't do just as individuals on our own journey, but we do together. We actually need each other to fight the battle together, to stand, to recognize who he is, to not be deceived by lies, but to trust and worship him. So this Advent, as we kind of prepare, we don't have a couple of days till Christmas, but as we take communion um, this morning, encourage you to, to enter the longing to truly know and trust him and to recognize him that we have now and one day we will have fully to stand and, and, and fight the battle and to do it together. And as we take communion today, I was just wanted to make an invitation that, that maybe um, an invitation to posture our hearts like the Magi who come and recognize Jesus and bow down and worship him. And actually that's the place our hearts are to be where we lower ourselves, we lift him up because he's the king, he's suffered for us and he's worthy of worship. And you may like to today and invite you to, if you'd like to, to not just do that in your heart, but to do that with your body and to kneel, um, to, to posture yourself in worship. Now, sometimes that just doing that with our bodies can actually shape our hearts as well. It can actually posture our hearts. And again, that's not something you have to do, but if you'd like to do that as we take communion today or in the last worship song, I encourage you, post your hearts in worship that he is worthy and he is our hope. So I'm going to pray and then um, if we could have some helpers who can come forward and, and help hand out communion and, and we'll um, center on this story and, and this, this king um, who's come. So Jesus, we just thank you that you are, you are the king who's come um, to rescue, um, that we are, have been in darkness and you've brought your light, um, that you have defeated the powers of evil and that you've risen from the dead. Um, thank you that we have hope in you and one day um, you will return and fully uh, renew the entire creation and, and our lives and we will live with you forever. And we just thank you for the longing of our hearts and desire for you. And we just ask, Lord, that this Advent and this Christmas, um, you would be worshipped and you would be lifted high. Uh, Would we be a community that worships and lifts you high? So would you meet with us now, we pray, um, and reveal yourself to us, God, your glory, that we would bow down before you and offer ourselves to you afresh. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.